0: Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website renewalchicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. If you have your scriptures, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 15, and we're going to look at the first uh, two verses. And um, as you're turning there, um, I want you just to just to even even as we think about Martin Luther King Day and just what he represented. is really uh, one of the things I loved about him as, as a little kid growing up in Oakland, California and reading a lot about Martin, He was one of my first heroes growing up as a kid and just um, seeing how much the, the scriptures and uh, Christ informed uh, what he did in terms of the secular culture and media. Probably just saw this guy who was fighting for civil rights, but he was really rooted in the gospel and in the scriptures in his vision of what uh, the kingdom of God really should look like And so, uh, let's look at this passage from the first two verses of Scripture. You guys are probably familiar with this passage. Uh, Later on, he's going to talk about the prodigal son story, which is a pretty well-known story uh, to those of us who grew up in the church. Um, So it says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered or grumbled, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Right. So, just to give you a little context, Luke chapter 14, uh, verse 25 and following, uh, Jesus preaches this sermon. Uh, there's a large crowd of people traveling with Jesus, right? And so we, we don't know if there's hundreds, but maybe thousands of people are traveling with Jesus. And uh, he turns to them. Jesus, I would tell people, is the worst mega church pastor of all time. Because whenever there's a big crowd, right, by the time he's done, there's like no one left, right? John chapter 6, you know, there are thousands of people. He says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. They're all gone, right? And the apostles were about to leave to the disciples, right? So a terrible. He would have been fired at every mega megachurch. Um, and so he basically says to them, he turns to these large crowds and he says, listen, if you, don't, if you don't hate your father, mother, your brother, sisters, if you don't hate your husband, if you don't hate all these big people, you cannot be my disciple. And he doesn't really explain much, right? He just, that's, that's it. That's his sermon. Next, next thing he says is like, if you don't, if you don't uh, take up your cross every day, which in that culture, right, would have been uh, 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 totally shameful, torturous, they would have known this is not what I want to pick up. Right, this is the last thing I want to pick up is the cross, okay? And he says, if you don't, if you don't take your cross up daily, you can't, you can't be my disciple. And then at the end of it, he says, listen, let me just make it clear. If you don't give up everything, you have, you cannot be my disciple Alright, and then he says At the end of that, he says, now he who has ears to hear Let him hear And then he says, now the tax collectors And sinners were all gathering around To what? To hear Jesus Who, who was gathering, the, the, the Greek word actually means Clam, they were, they were clamoring Right, like, like when you go to a concert It's like general, general like admission, And it's your favorite, like people just Like clamor to come in, right, to get in the front they were clamoring to hear Jesus. Who? It should have been the pastors, the, the missionaries, the theologians, right? The religious leaders. It should have been them. They should be the ones clamoring. But they're, they're not clamoring. In fact, they're grumbling. That, that muttering word is the same word in the Greek Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, that is used when the Israelites would grumble in the desert. Remember that? It didn't end up good for them, right? Whenever you grumble, right? Seriously, like, like I think our culture is a grumbling culture. Amen. Like, it's cool to grumble. You get liked if you grumble. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, but in that, in that uh, scripture, it was not good to grumble. These are the same the religious leaders from Israel who are grumbling against Jesus, but the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, right? They were the ones who were clamoring to hear Jesus. He just talked about the cost of discipleship and, and the sinners, right? The marginalized, the ones who would never, you would never expect to clamor to hear Jesus. They're the ones who are clamoring to hear Christ. The ones who go to the synagogue every week and hear the word of God every week, they're grumbling against Jesus. And this is what they grumble. They grumble, you, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I hate you, Jesus. Because you, you get intimate, you get close to sinners. And, and what they didn't realize was That in all the scriptures, I think one of the clearest, most concise statements of the gospel is right here. This is is what the gospel is. That this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners. And so all I want to do for this day is just preach to you from this text that sentence. This man, that's all I'm going to preach from. All right? And, And by the way, I have a limit on my time, but I just want you to know, okay? If I had more time, I would tell you the story. When I was in China, preaching in China, I preached for an hour and a half with a translator. So while I'm preaching, then someone translates back and forth, right? Hour and a half on a Sunday morning. And you know what they said when I was done? I said, okay, I'm sorry. I went over. I'm sorry. They said, you could have gone for another hour or two. I said, that never happens in America, okay? <laughs> when I preach an hour and a half in America, they say, goodbye. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> See you never, right? Like, like literally, right? So, so anyway, it's just a different, different. so if you guys want me to, no, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> this man welcomes to So I want to just break down this statement because basically what I, what I preached on last week in my church too is that there's basically many gospels in this culture, right? There's many, what, what one author calls liturgies, there's many narratives that are telling you what is ultimate. And what I told my people is that the problem with us is we all say we believe the gospel. Right, if you're a Christian in this room, and especially if you go to this church, right, you're going to say, "I believe the gospel," right? But the problem is, is that we're blind to the fact that there's hundreds of gospel messages pouring into our lives. Gospel messages are telling you something else is ultimate, <laughs> and so if you don't identify what those idols or what those substitute kind of worldviews are, right, they're telling you this. If you get this, you'll be satisfied. If you get this, you'll have ultimate meaning, right? Does that make sense? And so this gospel message has to be literally proclaimed, but also you have to identify what are the messages you're believing, the messages that are coming into you through Netflix. You guys know when you Netflix binge, it's not neutral. There's a message that's being told, right? When, when, you're, when you're talking to your coworkers, when you go to school, if you're in college or high school, there's a, there's a message that the world is telling you is ultimate. This is our gospel. If you believe this right? If you, if you have this sexual pleasure over and over again, right? If you get this job, if you have this kind of lifestyle, then you'll be satisfied, then you'll have purpose or meaning. Does that make sense? And we're, we're drinking that, all that in, like, oh, you know, no critique of that. Then we come to church, and then we're critical of the message, That's right, too long, you know? It, it, he didn't have enough illustrations. Listen, listen, okay? So, so we, we critique everything else, and, and that's really what I tell people. I trace that back to Genesis 3, that's what Satan did. He said, don't, don't trust God's word, trust mine. And he was like, okay, you know what I'm saying? And that's what we do at Netflix, oh, hi. you know what I'm saying? That's, that's how we do, that's how we do, right? And it's funny, but it's not, you know what I'm saying? And so, um, so hear this message, but hear it in contrast to the message of this world. So let's just start here. What is the starting point of the gospel? This man. So right away, the liturgy of our culture is, you're the starting point. You're ultimate, Right? So literally, we come to church, and we expect it to serve us like it's Amazon, or it's like a restaurant, or it's like a movie theater, right? So we come in, and we're like, all right, God, I don't like that worship leader, right? Or that I didn't like that song, I didn't like that style of music, I didn't like the way that dude preached, or whatever, right? And so it's about us, right? But the gospel doesn't start with you. The gospel starts with this man, amen? It starts with Jesus, okay? In fact... The gospel began before you were born, amen? It it says it it started before the foundation of the earth. He started planning the gospel because he foreknew what was going to happen, okay? So y'all weren't there is what I'm trying to say, all right? Doesn't matter how old you look, you weren't there before the foundation of the earth, right? You weren't even there before the foundations of our city, Chicago, okay, in the 1800s. You weren't even you weren't there, okay? So, so you weren't there in the beginning. The, the gospel began before you were born. It's not about you primarily. It's about the glory of Jesus, okay? And, and one of the reasons why we're not amazed at the gospel, along with the fact that we're drinking in these liturgies of the world and of the culture that are telling us a different narrative, that Satan is always going to try to take truth and twist it and say, this is ultimate, and we're going to just buy into that, so that we, what we actually believe is not what we sing about on Sunday, right? what we actually desire is not always what we, what we so, so what I'm trying to do is trying to show you that the gospel is amazing because the reality is that at least as I travel around the world and preach when I go to closed countries where there's persecution they, when I preach the gospel through a translator my urban humor doesn't translate, right? my biggie Tupac jokes don't translate in China alright? I tried it, it don't work, okay? and so when I preach without jokes through a translator who's slowing down my flow people start weeping at the gospel. Whereas when I preach in America, literally people say to me, you better not suck. Before I preach, right, right before I go up to preach, guest speaking, someone says to me, don't suck. You know what I'm saying? And, and so there's, there's this like expectation, you better entertain me. Right? You better hold my attention. right? Because the gospel's not enough. I need an eloquent sermon. I need a story that moves me emotionally. And I'm not saying the gospel can't do that, but there's a demand because you're ultimate. And so one of the things I try to tell people is part of the reason why we're not amazed at the gospel, first of all, is because we think we're ultimate, not God, but also because we forget who it is that welcomes sinners. Let me tell you a story. So I grew up in Oakland, California, right? And I should have been a Warriors fan. Now I I regret it, but growing up as a kid, I didn't regret it because I was a a Laker fan. I hate them now because I hate Kobe Bryant. Amen. (laughs) Amen. I just, need, I just need healing for that, all right? So, he's not Michael Jordan, amen? Amen. All right, so, I preached, this, I preached about Kobe Bryant, not about Kobe, I preached about Jesus, but, but I talked about Kobe and how I hated him in L.A. like two weeks ago, and they, they literally, like, it was funny, too, and they literally didn't laugh, and I was like, okay, wrong context, wrong crowd, you know what I'm saying? Like, but here it works, all right, so... So basically when I was a kid I grew up I grew up watching uh, Magic Johnson. You guys know Irvin Magic Johnson, greatest point guard of all time, 6 foot 9, grew up in, you know, Michigan. So um my friend said, hey, he's coming to Chicago. He's coming to Elgin, Illinois, right? Who knows why? To a Meyer department store. He was selling shoes. This is like back in the day. He, he sold shoes. They were terrible. But if you buy these shoes, you get in line, you get an autograph from Magic. You get to meet him. So he says, Do you want to go? I'm like, yes. This is my favorite player of all time. They have a book report on him in junior high, right? I love this guy, right? So we get in line, and this uh, white journalist comes up to me, and she says, um, are you a Magic Johnson fan? She obviously uh, looked at me because I was the only, we're the only Asians in the whole crowd, okay? So she wanted diversity for the Elgin Courier. So she comes up and she says, are you Magic? I said, I was offended. I said, am I, am I a Magic Johnson fan? Irvin Magic Johnson, born August 14th, 1959 in East Lansing, Michigan, who used to shovel the snow in the frozen tundra so that he could play ball in the winter? Yes. <laughs> and she literally goes, you will be in my article. And so that's probably how you recognize me. You probably read. <laughs> it went viral. It went viral um, in Elgin. And so... Um, so I, I, we're in line, and we're like 300 people in front of us. We get towards the front line. I'm like literally like, I'm like I am mean, I'm like I'm nervous, but on the surface, right? So I'm like getting really nervous, right? And my palms are sweaty. And so um, I wrote him a love note. I'm sure he read it. I gave, it to, I gave the love note to him. And uh, I said, hey, Magic, uh, uh, as he signed my jersey, I said, hey, man, I'm, I'm a pastor. I just want to tell you, man, when I, uh, when I think about you, I'm going to be praying for you. And, and Magic Johnson, he, he literally... As he signed my jersey, then he looked up at me. I believe with love. You weren't there. You don't know. And and he put his right hand on my shoulder, right here, guys. (laughs) His hands were beautiful. Magic Johnson touched me, guys. And he looked me in the eyes, and he he said, Dave, you're doing a good work. Magic Johnson affirmed my call to ministry, guys. (laughs) All right. I don't know who was on Derek, Pastor Derek's ordination council, but Magic Johnson ordained me, okay? <laughs> All right, so, um, and I was, I was literally changed. I mean, I, I literally, I was skipping and hopping through that, I mean, I was shouting, I was hooping, I was hollering. I was like, dude, Magic touch me, Magic touch me. And um, now if, if some random stranger in that department store came up to me and touched me that same day, I'd be like, get your hands off me. I don't know you like that, right? But because of who it was, because of who it was, if you ask Magic, hey, remember that crazy Korean pastor? Nah, he did not remember me. But because of who it was, it literally, it's a story that I'll never forget, like ever. He didn't, he didn't die for me. right? He don't, he don't love me. He just touched me and said a sentence to me. And I'll never forget it because of who it was. And I, want, I wonder you're a christian do you realize who welcomes us do you realize who welcomes us <laughs> i mean literally like, like like i tell people that that jesus was there creating the heavens and the earth with sentences out of nothing like you've never created anything with sentences except like maybe pain you know what i'm saying like you don't you don't say hey uh car up here that doesn't happen and you have pre-existing material, and you, have, you, have, you know what cars are. They had an empty slate. They had no matter. There, there were no molecules. There were no atoms yet. And Jesus said, let there be light, and galaxies, billions, hundreds of billions of galaxies were formed with a word out of nothing. That God, that Savior, welcomes us. The same Savior who literally, when Isaiah, who wrote much, I mean, he wrote one of the longest books in the Bible, and and he literally heard from God directly and wrote those scriptures that you read and are blessed by. That man, Isaiah, probably the godliest person on earth at that time, sees a vision of Jesus, high and exalted. Does he walk in with swagger? Did he say, Lord, let me tell you about myself, what I've accomplished. No, no. He falls like a dead person and says, I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. That's our God. That's this man. The, the man, if, if he appeared right now in fullness, we would die. When we say, I want to see Jesus, right? We see that all the time. We sing it flippantly. I, I don't think you can still sing that. But you better say, I want to see Jesus covered by the righteousness of Jesus because I don't want to see you as a sinner because I'm dying. Do you see that? That's what's going to happen on that last day, right? I don't know about you, but people have all these questions about, what does the Bible say about this cultural issue, right? That's not my, my issue is just hell. Hell's the hardest thing for me. I believe it's biblical. But it's hard for me to understand how how God is loving and he sends people to hell for all of eternity. It's because I've never seen God's holiness. If I saw his holiness on that final day, it will make sense. Even though now it doesn't. Because we're so unholy and we live among a people who are so unholy. And so we feel like we have to defend God. God doesn't need to be defended. He's God, we're not. The fact that we think we need to accuse him, you know what I'm saying? never turns out well. Like Job, it didn't turn out well. He repented in dust and ashes after he accused, right? And so so there's a glory to this man who literally became a human being and is walking among them. And that's the one who the gospel says looks upon sinners and rebels like us and chooses us. What glory, what grace. The second thing it says is this man, this holy creator of the universe, welcomes sinners so that 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 word welcome in the greek there's multiple words in the greek that can be translated into english simply receive or welcome the basic word is the word called decamai now the word decamai means to receive or welcome so um, i don't know if he's here but when we parked our car in the parking lot there was a guy who had to sit in the cold i think and he just said hey what's your name he welcomed us and it was nice because I'm thinking as a pastor, like, you know, this guy has to sit here out in the cold. It's like negative five degrees outside. And he's going to welcome all of us. That, that's that's dekamai right? You, you felt welcomed. But you don't, I don't know the guy's name, right? Um, we don't have a relationship. We didn't go deep with each other. It was just dekamai the gospel doesn't say, when the Pharisees are mad at Jesus grumbling. they don't say, this man decamized sinners. But, but that would have been offensive enough because religious leaders were told to distance themselves from sinners. Jesus, if you say you decamized sinners, that would have been offensive, right, to, to most religious leaders. But they don't say decamized because they knew Jesus. You don't just decimize them. You prostecamized sinners. What that means is you intimately walk that, that's like when you haven't seen your best friend in like a year or two. Or, or like my friend whose husband was uh, called to tour in, in Iraq for two years. And, and then they finally reunite. you know what I'm talking about? And she talked about how she literally ran across the security lines at the military base, which was illegal, because she didn't know where her husband was, because all these people were coming off, she didn't see her husband, so she freaked out. She ran, and as soon as she saw him, she just like jumped into his arms, and, just, oh, and kissed him, and cried. That's intimate welcome. The offense of the gospel, the scandal of grace is not just that God tolerates us if we get, like that would be amazing. Like, dude, I'm going to heaven. That's amazing. God's like, all right, I don't like you, but you know, here's the rules. So, (laughs) but that's how some of y'all think about Jesus. When you mess up and you come back to Jesus, you guys think, oh, I mean, he has to, right? But I remember my mentor, he's in his late 70s and we've been, um, every month we Skype for the last like, Eight, nine years now or so And uh, And he asked me one day, he said, Dave um, When you repent What's the look on Jesus' face? And I was like I mean, I, I got my degree in Bible theology at, at Wheaton, I got my Masters of Divinity At Gordon-Conwell, like I mean, I study theology So I should know this answer I was like, I never, I never thought of that, have you? Because when I repented growing up in the church I never looked at Jesus Isn't that the irony? just shows you how me-centered we are, right? And I grew up in the Korean church, and if y'all don't know, Korean church, we don't play. Like, Korean, like when we pray, like, it's loud. Oh, yeah. And we beat the floor, and, and everyone's crying, and it's intense, and y'all would be scared. <laughs> I was. And so, and so, but we never looked at Jesus. Because that's what we were taught. Repentance is about looking at your sin and just seeing how bad it is. and God, I'm so sorry, and... and if you look at the prodigal son story, the best part of the repentance was not him saying, you know, I've sinned against, you know, heaven against earth, I, I, I've sinned against my father, I, 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 you know, I, I've done all these things, let, let me be your hired person. That wasn't the best part. It. it was when he comes home and the father just runs to him, throws his arms around him, and kisses him. The best part of repentance was Jesus. But for us, we repent, we just feel bad. And we think, okay, now I feel better because I, it's like cathartic, it's like purging, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I went to do my confessional. Now the beauty of it is the assurance of pardon. And so I, he said to me, he said, I said, I don't know. And he said, whenever you repent and you turn to Jesus, look up at his face, he smiles at you. And I remember I had this visceral reaction of like, no way. Y'all, you don't even know what I do. You don't even know my thoughts. And so I, I processed for a year, a week or two because I knew that, I knew that I, I, I knew that it was theologically true, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Like nothing will separate from the love of God. I knew that. I know verses like Zephaniah, the, the Lord your God is with you, is mighty to safe, he will take great delight in you, he will quiet you with his love, he will rejoice over you, singing. I know those scriptures, and yet it wasn't functional in my theology. Does that make sense? It was academic. It was theoretical. But when he said that, my, my reaction was, no! No way did he smile at me. And so I processed, why, why is it like that? And what I realized was because when in life have any of us experienced this reality. Like some of you guys look like you're married, right? Because you're sitting next to someone and it looks like you guys are married, like just the way you interact with each other. Like at least you're dating, right? And, and so my guess is there's some married couples in this room who uh, if, if your spouse does something to you that's hurtful and before they even apologize, they're just coming to you to talk, have you ever smiled at them? And the answer is most likely either never or never once in a long 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 time the 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 normal reaction of our culture and it's getting worse with social media when you make a mistake or you call someone else a mistake out everyone joins in and applauds you and says yes justice you're right you should be offended you should be angry never forgive call it out right and i'm not saying there's a place for that of course there is Right? There's a place. Like Martin Luther King, he called out and judged. That was was biblical. That was right. But the heart, people literally, like people were mad at Martin Luther King for for doing it nonviolently. They were mad at him for loving his enemies. They were mad, just like they were mad at Jesus. Right? They were mad at Jesus for loving sinners, you see, for intimately welcoming them, right? And so as your a kid, you mess up as a kid, at least when I was growing up. I, don't know, I don't know, I'm old, so I'm in my early 40s now. So when I was growing up, they wrote your name on the chalkboard. And the rest of the day, you could never erase it with grace. <laughs> Just for the rest of the day. Sometimes the teacher forgot to erase it, and the next morning you're still up there. <laughs> and if you, how many remember this? you guys? And then if you do really bad, twice, what do you, check mark. When I was growing up in Oakland, if you did two check marks, you go to the principal's office, and I didn't fear the principal; I fear my daddy behind the principal. (laughs) Right? And so there was this, there was this constant reiteration, reinforcement of a narrative that says, when you make a mistake, at best you'll get forgiven if you grovel long enough. But in the gospel. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, because he lived the obedient, perfect life before God in his will that you could never live. And he lived every nanosecond of his life. There was never a moment when he ever rebelled. Because he lived a life you couldn't live, it's credited now to you through his death, and you are now treated as if you're as righteous as Jesus Christ. Even though you're not actually as righteous, right? But he's declared righteousness over you. He now treats you, Always like you're as righteous as Jesus, which means that when you repent and you turn to him, he smiles at you not because your repentance was awesome, but because Christ is awesome. And he doesn't welcome you as a repenter. He welcomes you as Christ. So therefore, he intimately welcomes you. You remember that story where he says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. Guys, if, if you're not a Christian... This is one of the reasons why you should consider it. Because we live in a culture where you get what you deserve and sometimes worse than that. But in the Christian culture, the true Christian culture, not the subculture out there, right? But the Christian gospel culture, you don't get what you deserve. Christ gets what you deserve. And you get what he deserved, which was intimate love from the Father. You all understand why... The gospel is so precious. And so my question to you, if you're a Christian, is this. Now that you're in Christ, have you been walking in the intimate welcome of the Father? Like, do you know the smile of Jesus? Have you been settling for a distant decamai where you almost have to earn his decamai? Or have you rested in the prosthetic of mine that Jesus earned for you permanently? Does this make any sense? This is the good news that today you are delighted in. Today, if you're in Christ, he's saying over you, whether you hear it or not, he's saying it over you, this is my daughter, this is my son whom I love. And with you, I am so pleased. How much do our souls need to hear that in our culture today? How much does the world need to hear that in our culture? Like, literally, the forces of this culture are oppressive through the means of media and social media right now. It's literally pervasive now. Like, it's like, it's like culture on steroids right now. And we all listen to it, and we all fear not saying anything that will conform to that, right? We have that fear, right? Because if we say anything about Jesus or the uniqueness of Christ or the beauty of the God, people hate you for that. And yet, this is life. This is life, church. So he says, this man, the glorious creator who spoke sentences before the foundation of the earth, who planned the gospel, it it begins with him and his glory, not you. He welcomes intimately. And then lastly, sinners. He welcomes sinners. It's that simple. That that word sinners at the end of this man welcomes is the reason why the Pharisees hated Jesus. Jesus. And that word sinners is the reason why Christians love Jesus. I love Jesus because the more I walk with God as a Christian and as a pastor, the more I see how utterly sinful my heart is and how undeserving I am of grace. And when I forget the gospel as a pastor, I want to quit all the time because I know I'm not the shepherd that they deserve or that they need. This man welcomes sinners. That should that's shock us. No other religion says that. I remember I went to a boarding school in Aurora, Illinois, uh, when I moved back to, when we moved to Chicago, and uh, we had a 10-year high school reunion in the Sears Tower, Willis Tower, whatever. And so Sears Tower. And um, in those 10 years, our, our school, a lot of the, the people who graduated had become very successful, very wealthy, and I had become a pastor. And I was was voted class clown in my high school. They knew me as a total joker. but God had changed my life radically in college. And I got a call to ministry in college, and we didn't have social media at the time, so most of the people had no idea what I did. And so I remember uh, I told my uh, friends, I said, hey, would you just pray for me? I I really feel like I want to just be a missionary tonight and just share Jesus with as many of my classmates as I can. So we get to the high school reunion. Everyone's dressed up, and... And, and, and I don't know if you guys have ever been to like a 10 year or even a 20 year but there's a difference between 10 and 20 year, 10 year there's like cockiness it's like I'm going to prove myself, I'm going to let people know how, how much I make, all that stuff 20 year there's like a humbling of like they've done life, marriages are struggling, you know there's been a humility, but the 10 year there was like a kind of a posturing and I remember I went in there and I began to share uh, about my faith and about what I did, I remember one girl I was like hey what do you do, she's like I'm a doctor, she's like what do you do Dave, I'm a pastor she's like that's the last thing I would imagine you doing and shared Jesus with a bunch of people. I remember at one point in that night, literally there was a circle of them, people that like in high school, honestly, like I kind of made fun of in high school. They were, they were making fun of me. I mean, they were literally saying things like, Dave, you don't believe that crap, do you? Like that's, that's so anti-intellectual. And, and in our school, if you say anti-intellectual, that's like the, that's like the, the idol, man. That's like, don't, you know, because all, we all think we're smart. And I remember I was, I, it didn't go as I expected. Like, I just thought my winsomeness, my charm, man, when you, when you talk with brilliant Ivy League grads, I mean, they just, at that point in their lives, antagonism towards Jesus. And so I walked away discouraged and uh, saw a buddy of mine who was a Christian in high school. And so uh, I literally was like, okay, now I can be encouraged. There's one guy. And so I remember talking to him. I said, hey, hey how, how's your faith, bro? And he said, uh, I don't believe anymore. I said, what happened? He said, I took a comparative religions class in college and I learned that all religions are the same, which is what they all say. So if they ever say that to you, which you'll hear a lot from your coworkers and friends, then press them with this follow-up question. I said, really? I said, what's the same about them all? And he he stuttered. He was like, ah, ah. So I just let him stutter. And then finally, after that awkward moment, he just said, "Uh, man's devotion to God. I said, man, that's pretty good. I said, you're right, that is the center of every religion except for one, Christianity. Because the center of Christianity is not our devotion to God, but it's God's devotion to us. Amen. And there's a radical difference. Yes. Amen. But again, the narrative of our culture is saying, even in Christianity, but definitely outside of Christianity, the, the, the messages you're hearing from the culture is saying it's about you. You're ultimate. Your happiness is ultimate, Right? Like, you gotta do you, right? Expressive individualism. Whatever I want, whatever I desire, I need to express that fully, and that's what's applauded in our culture. Christianity says, here's what's applauded in culture, in a Christian culture. That the God of the universe who is holy looked upon rebels who literally rebelled against God in his goodness, who crucified his son. Like, if we crucified Mother Teresa, or Martin Luther King, you would say you're the most evil person on earth because of who you crucified. We crucified the Son of God. He's so holy that he would make Mother Teresa look mean. You know what I'm saying? Like he would look make Mother Teresa look like an utter wretched sinner who deserves hell. That's how good and holy God is, and we killed him. and And think about this. So I tell my church people: When's the last time you wept over the fact that you killed Jesus? Like, not because there was an emotional song, but because you were saying the scriptures and you realized that you did that to Jesus. So, not only does he die for sinners, but he dies for sinners who don't feel that bad that we're sinners. And not only does he die for us, but he intimately welcomes us into his presence, knowing that we have not yet fully been changed yet. What grace! What glory! And I want to just suggest to you, as a church, that that gospel reality, that truth, has to begin to flow into your heart and then into your community. It cannot be something that's just abstract, that you hear preached from the pulpit. It has to be something that begins to flow into your heart, change your cravings and desires, and then change your relationships, your, your, your wife, your hu- husband, your, 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 your children, your friendships, your co- everything needs to be, a f- your small groups, because the world doesn't just need to hear the gospel preached. The world needs to hear the, see the gospel lived. So one of the things that we did our, as a church, and really the Spirit led us, was about five, six years ago, our church is called Church of the Beloved, and our vision really is to see the gospel transform people into spirit-filled disciples who know they're the beloved of God because of Christ alone. And it comes out of my own story of performanceism and perfectionism that my dad would beat us literally if we didn't get an A. All A's, really. And so I strove, and I was successful on the outside, but internally I was a mess. And then I just transferred that when I came to Christ into ministry, and I was just working and striving and trying to grow churches and preaching, and and, and every preaching was a performance. Like, am I good enough now? And then I would preach this same message in in the hood of, like, Compton, and I would preach the same message, Compton, Long Beach, and I would preach the same message at Harvard. And... People in Long Beach, Compton, people in Harvard would be both weeping. And I realized that everybody is struggling with gospel identity. Where where does my worth and love come from? And so I began to, um, God led us to to have this vision. And then a couple years into the church, as we were growing and we were planning out uh, one location, and we had our first downtown church location. That was our second church plant. And um, it was a retreat, and uh, I was praying. We were having a retreat. I was like, Lord, what do you want me to, what what do you want the theme to be for this retreat? And then the Lord gave me this answer that was one of those answers where you're like, "I, I wish I hadn't prayed. And so I called, we, we, were, we were training up our first elders and deacons, and I'm sure you guys remember this, right, as, as, as a church plant, if, you're, if you've been here since the beginning, just all the, all the excitement, but also the, all the uh, immaturity of, of a church plant. And, and so we were trying to raise up our first batch of elders and deacons, so I called them all in. This is before they were officially ordained as elders and deacons of our church. And I called them into my condo, and I said, guys, the Lord impressed upon me the theme for this retreat. And they're all excited. I said, I feel like what we're supposed to do is, in batches of two or three people, we're going to come up before our church people, our membership, and uh, we're going to confess our deepest shame from our past. And then at the end of that weekend, we're going to let them vote if they still want us to be their elders and deacons. Because if they don't believe the gospel, they're never going to want us to be elders and deacons after this. And uh, the response was overwhelmingly negative. So it was... (laughs) And so I said, hey, let's just, let's just share our deep of shame now. And so people went around and they shared. And, um, and literally, grown men were weeping out of fear of sharing in front of 10 of us. So now we're going to go share in front of our church. I had a panic attack twice that week. We get to the retreat Friday night, and of course, I didn't tell anyone the theme, because I knew if I told them the theme, no one would show up. Like, would you show up, you know what I'm saying? And so I said, we get there, I said, here's what we're going to do this weekend. We're going to break up the groups of four or five. We're going to have small groups after every session. In the main sessions, the elders and deacons, we're going to come before you we're going to share our deepest shames. And then in these smaller sessions, you'll share your shame one by one, same gender, and then we're going to proclaim the gospel over you. So first batch goes up there that first night. Second morning was uh, the elders' turn. And so 5 a.m., I wake up in a panic attack. And I'm literally thinking to myself, well, one, I feel like I'm about to die. And then two, if, if I share this, they're never going to want me to be their pastor again. And it must be the Holy Spirit, because when I imagine what I, sh- when I think about what I shared, I don't know if I could ever do it again. I mean, it just had to be the Spirit of the Lord. And, um, and so I'm going to go with three other guys to share, and um, the Lord says to me, um, you go by yourself first. I, I'm having a panic at, at, at that moment. And God comforts me by taking away my security. At least we're going to jump into to the ocean together. You know what I'm saying? Now he says, do it by yourself. And I'm like, this is terrible. So I get up there and I mean, you can tell, like I, 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 I literally I enjoy public speaking. Most people hate this, right? I couldn't look at, I looked down the whole time. And I shared my most shameful moment in, in all my years of ministry. And I couldn't look at them. And I, I don't know if you've ever done that. I, I literally felt like utterly naked. And I just wanted to just like, just escape. But after I was done, I didn't know, what, like, how do you transition? out? I'm the pastor. How do I transition out of that? Like, I can't even look at them because I feel so much shame. Now, again, I preach the gospel, but I'm being exposed in how much shame I feel. Does that make sense? I say I believe it here, I don't believe it down here. I believe the messages of my dad and the culture, right? And the Lord did something really beautiful. One by one, from their seats, people just started to come up. And our church is pretty reserved, so they're not not normally like this type, but they all came up, they all circled around me, they laid hands on me, they began to pray, and I lost it. It was literally the visible picture of the gospel over me. That, that Jesus does not even great. He does not just lay hands, he, he delights over me. And so he prayed, they prayed over me, and I wept because I'd held this shame for so long that had told me I, I can't be a pastor because I'm too messed up. And then, and then we broke into our groups, and there was one guy in that group who told me later that uh, when I shared that first night, what we're going to do, he literally said, I'm out of here. But then he thought, but if I leave, everyone's going to wonder what I'm trying to hide. <laughs> So so he stayed, but then he prayed this prayer. He said, God, just let Pastor Dave not be in my small group and let my best friend not be in my small group. And of course, the Lord answered and put me and his best friend in a small group of five guys. You know what I'm saying? It was just crazy how good God is. And so... (laughs) And so we get into that group, and I still remember like it was yesterday. Uh, His best friend shared first, actually. And same thing. He couldn't look up at us. There's five of us. He just looked down the whole time. And he shared his struggle with certain sins in his past. Again, he was a Christian for many years. He had never shared with another human being in his life. And so after he was done, head still down, can't look at us, of course. This is what shame does. And so we just began to shower him with the gospel. When I got to me, I just said to him, I said, bro, I just want you to know, first of all, as your pastor, I love you deeply. But here's what the gospel says about you. As far as the east is from the west, as so far as he removed your transgressions from you. And I just made a quote scripture over him. And literally, this is what happened. His head started to move up without him even knowing it. But his eyes were still down. And then literally after like many, many minutes of us peppering him with grace, he just literally, his eyeballs just tentatively looked up. And he was almost like looking in my eyes to say, are you serious? I just shared the most shameful thing of my life and you're telling me that you love me that christ loves me that i have righteousness he's like this is great this is good news it's a christian for decades then he shared his friend the guy who prayed that prayer same thing his friend already shared he looked down the whole time he didn't look up we shared the gospel over him he slowly began and the same thing eventually their heads and their eyes like uh, matched with ours that's the gospel church and my, my, my theory is that most of us in this room are like those guys and me. And that's why the gospel is not that sweet to us. Do you, do you ever notice what, that people who are like in ministry or leaders who preach the gospel are so legalistic in the way that they treat their families or the people close to them? Why? Because it's not down here. It's not down here. And so I just want to suggest to you and encourage you that this is not just something that you do individually. And this is going to be the scary part for some of you who are very individualistic. It's got to be something that you invite some people into your life with. Just invite one or two other people that you trust, whether it be your spouse or another uh, person of the same gender, just, just to get deep and say, can, can we just have a group where we'll be, keep everything, in, whatever happens here stays here. This is confidential. And not just that you listen to my confession, but that you proclaim the gospel over that. And over time, slowly, it reverberates into your heart. And you begin to see how amazing it is that this man, the Holy One, welcomes intimately rebel sinners like us. And the gospel becomes beautiful. Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul. And I hope to see you at one of our services at 10 a.m. Take care. God bless you we uh.